0: Open the Word of God with me this morning to Revelation chapter 6. And let's consider what Adam just shared with us about the martyrs under the altar of God as we enter into our fifth sermon about the only right worldview. I opened our worship this morning with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 that used the word one seven times because there is only one God, there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, there's only one faith, and so forth. And that's why we're preaching on the only right worldview, because there's only one that matters. The rest are all the imaginations of men and the lies of Satan mingled together in a blender of depravity, profanity, and rebellion against God. Revelation 6, 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Those are the martyrs. And the martyrs are crying for vengeance in verse 10. And the martyrs get a blessing in verse 11. But why were they martyrs? It tells us why. And it's really what we're studying. The worldview of Christians. It says they were slain for the word of God. What is axiom number two? God gave Scripture. What is axiom number four? Scripture is absolute truth. And for the testimony which they held. The testimony that they held is the testimony of the Christian religion, the true Christian religion, with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because if you look elsewhere in this book of Revelation, it is the testimony of Jesus which they had. For something to be considered the word of God, God had to give it. So God is. All implied in these words. Our worldview is nothing more, and it better not be anything less, than the whole view of life, of the Christian religion, that there is one God in heaven who is our Father, and He sent His Son, who is our Lord, and who gave His word, and it is our faith, and by one Spirit we believe it. Thank you, Adam, for sharing the martyr this morning in the way that you did. Every young man in here, every young woman in here that's 13 or 12 or 14 or the years around that age of 13, I hope you heard the story and are committing yourself. I do love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will live for Him. And if need be, I would die for Him. I thank God for my Father who would put me at his right side or left, it doesn't matter, at five, six, seven years of age, and my brother Paul on the other side, and read us Martyrs of the Catacombs. I went to bed not with video games on my mind. I went to bed not with horror movies on my mind, but I went to bed with polio in the middle of the Colosseum being ravaged by a tiger and my father teaching us boys that we ought to have that kind of faith. And I thank the Lord for that very much. And I know my brother does as well. Let us all remember such things, and let us as parents try to instill the same in our children and children's children. Turn now to Nehemiah chapter 13, which I used as the opening text in my preparatory email sent to you yesterday. I just want to add a couple verses to it and remind you of the importance of it and then show you a little bit of scriptural history. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23. Last chapter of Nehemiah and the 23rd verse. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves." Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God, in marrying strange wives. Do you understand this passage in the context of a right worldview? The bad thing about strange wives is not that they're not pretty. The bad thing about strange wives is not that they're not serving wives. The bad thing about strange wives is they have a different worldview. So you don't touch them. And you stay away from them. And you look for a woman that has the right worldview, and you marry her so that with the two of you, you can bring up children with the one right worldview. Crucial. When it says that Solomon was beloved of his God, what was his name? Jedidiah. Jedidiah. Beloved of the Lord. Gifted abundantly. He had the right worldview and gave us some details of the right worldview that no one else gave us in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and even Song of Solomon. And yet, outlandish women caused him to sin. The intriguing, seducing, desirable aspects of false women are to be ignored and rejected to find yourself a woman that will help you bring up children with the right worldview. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. If you heard the words from Nehemiah chapter 13, some like to say, I'm a little too heavy handed as a pastor. You've never felt my hand. <laughs> That's right. yep. But if you were in Nehemiah's congregation, you would have felt his hand. Because he smote you and he ripped out your hair. Because the crime was a great sin. And the crime was marrying outside a convicted, committed Christian. Right. Heavy-handed. They're scornful, reprobate rebels. They've never read the Bible. They know nothing about the Bible, nor a godly ministry. If anything, as a pastor, I am too easy, too gentle, and too compromising. Lord, forgive me. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. That's where we begin with our worldview, in the beginning, God. Remember that. Now come over to chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, and let's get ourselves a little history from the first book of history in the Bible, in the divine library. Genesis chapter 6, I am still on the thought that we marry in the Lord for a very specific reason, and that is to preserve the worldview He's given us in the earth, lest it be diluted or destroyed. Solomon's was destroyed. Unbelievable the way he ended his life. And there is no repentance described anywhere in the life of Solomon. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, It came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. One of the reasons the flood was sent in the days of Noah was for intermarriage between the sons of God and the daughters of men the descendants of Seth and the descendants of Cain, Lamech, and the rest of that reprobate race. And God was offended by it and God sent the flood. That is how we understand Genesis 6, 1 through 3. If you want further details on that subject and this angle on the context of the flood, then look up the word Nephilim on our website and study the lengthy document that is there that goes through this passage word by word and phrase by phrase we have no more covered five chapters of the Bible than we run into intermarriage with unbelievers. And why the flood came 1,656 years after creation. Come over to chapter 20. Chapter 20. Since Cain and Abel, there's been two worldviews in the world, at least two main categories. One, the right worldview, and the other category, all the wrong worldviews. We needed Cain and Abel, because before that there was only one worldview, the wrong one. We are not told one single good thing about Adam and Eve. We needed Cain and Abel, because Abel had the right worldview. Cain had the wrong worldview. Cain killed Abel, so now we're back down to one worldview, the devil's worldview, But then God gave Eve, Seth, to replace Abel, and so we have two worldviews in the world again. You know, sometimes, to make it easy for our minds, we say there are only two Bible versions in the world. The true Bible and all the others that are false Bibles. Because it's very easy and simple to show that all of the other Bible versions agree among themselves against the King James Bible. And we know there's a giver of truth, Almighty God our Father in heaven, and there is a father of lies, the devil himself. So why would we think there's a hundred versions when there's really two? And there's really only two worldviews, the true one and wrong ones. And we don't care if the wrong ones are closer to the truth, they're still wrong. We don't want a close worldview, we want the one and only right worldview. Genesis chapter 20. The world has continued forward and we're now 2,000 years, I'm rounding numbers off for you, 2,000 years after creation and Abraham has to go visit among the Philistines and so he lies about his wife, Sarah, and says she is his sister. And here's why he did it, because he understood worldviews. Verse 15, Abimelech That is a title of the king of the Philistines. You want to learn a little bit about Bible study right now? Mm -hmm. Hear what I just said. Pharaoh is not a name, Pharaoh is a title. Artaxerxes is not a name, it's a title. The great Shah. Abimelech is a title. How do you know that? Go study out all the passages of Scripture that tell you about David hiding in Gath and appearing before Achish or Abimelech. Which was it, or did he do it twice? Or was Achish Abimelech? That's the answer. Sorry about that little P.S. note. But if you want to know your Bibles, there's neat things there so that you don't get confused. There's so many Abimelechs. Among the Philistines, if you read your Bible, you've got to wonder... Were they junior, third, fifth, tenth? Or was it a title, like Pharaoh? That was free. (laughs) Verse 15, Abimelech said, Behold. That's not the verse I wanted. Forgive me. Verse 10, forgive me. Verse 10, Genesis chapter 20 and verse 10. If I'd look at my notes instead of you, I could do fine. Genesis 20 and verse 10, And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? What did you see within the borders of Philistia that you would lie to me? What did you see? Here's the answer of Abraham in verse 11. And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Surely, this nation doesn't have the right worldview, and they'll kill me if I tell them that she is Mrs. Abraham. Notice, he's appealing to the fact that he didn't think they had the right worldview, and it would end up being his demise for his beautiful wife. That's Genesis chapter 20. Now let's turn over to Genesis chapter 24. I hope that you see there, From Genesis 6, two worldviews. God drowned the one bad worldview. But guess what lies within the heart of every one of us? A love and lust for the wrong worldview. How did we get the wrong worldview back in the world after the Lord reduced the population of planet Earth to the church of God in the ark? Where did the false worldview come from? Oh, brethren, it's latent, right? It's not very latent in me. It's kind of active in me. And I know it's there, but I hate it and I despise it. Because it didn't take long after the flood for a certain building project. It didn't take long, did it? Just a few more chapters, just a few years. Okay, you saw Abraham's knowledge that the Philistines probably didn't have a right worldview. Now watch this about him taking care of his son Isaac. Genesis chapter 24. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. That is a euphemism for making a covenant with Abraham based on the covenant God had made with him that involved a certain part of his anatomy. Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Abraham didn't really care if Isaac was compatible with this coming wife of his. What Abraham cared about was that she couldn't be a Canaanite because they had the wrong worldview. Because the wrong worldview includes everything that you believe about God, his son, and worship. Everything you believe about morality. The the worldview is so important. And this is how Abraham did it and there was a very serious covenant made that's that's Abraham for Isaac come over to chapter 26 and let's read about Isaac and Rebekah you know how i'm not telling you about the story of how Abraham's servant found Rebekah i want you to just be moving forward in these chapters to chapter 26 chapter 26 in the last two verses And Esau was 40 years old. Isaac and Rebekah have twins named Esau and Jacob. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Which were, were is plural, those two girls, those two wives of Esau, were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. A grief of mind. Why? Because their son Esau was compromising the worldview they had taught him with two Hittite girls. Next verse, chapter 27. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, that's not the verse I want. Let's go to verses 8 and 9. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Well, no wonder. It's chapter 28. Forgive me. That time it wasn't you. It was my notes. Genesis chapter 28. Lord, forgive me. Genesis 28, verse 1, And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take away for the daughters of Canaan, which Esau had done twice. Arise, go to Paden Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee away from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Notice the the concern about this matter. Take a several hundred mile trip to go make sure you marry in the family and get someone that fears God and has the right worldview. The intensity of these godly patriarch fathers to make sure their sons would only marry... Godly women. And verses 8 and 9 show the importance and yet the confusion. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan, pleased not Isaac his father. Esau realized that his parents didn't like his two wives. Esau realized that Isaac and Rebekah had sent Jacob back to the homeland to get a relative for a wife. Then went Esau unto Ishmael. And took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife. See, Esau doesn't get it, because Esau was a reprobate, so he just thought his parents didn't like Canaanites, so he went and married an Ishmaelite, because he overheard and he saw that his parents wanted Jacob to go get a special kind of wife, not of the Canaanites pitiful, misunderstanding, and terrible. And nothing has changed. Look at 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Nothing has changed. The Bible is a consistent book. There are changes in worship, but there are not changes in moral truth. There's changes in form, from the Old Testament to the New Testament in the form of worship. But this this great concern about marrying in the Lord to preserve the right worldview is New Testament as well. 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul is dealing with widows, and he gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 7, and he says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Only in the Lord. Her liberty is constrained. God had told Adam and Eve, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Paul tells widows that they are at liberty to marry whom they will, but then it's limited. Only in the Lord. You, You may marry anyone that you wish in the Lord and all the junk that is applied to marriages and finding compatibility, the only point that really matters is the right worldview. The only point that really matters is the right worldview. Then chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man. In the Lord. Only in the Lord, in the Lord. So it's the same all the way through the Bible. Okay, let's remember that uh, God is. Axiom number one, God gave Scripture. Number two, God created all things. Number three, Scripture is absolute truth. Is Scripture as relevant today as it was yesterday? Is it as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago? Is it as relevant today as it was 6,000 years ago? Yes, it is absolute truth. It doesn't change. You can't alter it. You can't improve it. It is the final authority. It's the only place we go. It's the bar of judgment of truth or error. Thank you, blessed God, for giving it to us. So what is axiom number five? And remember, this is difficult to put these in order. Jehovah is the only God, is number five. Number five is Jehovah Is the only God when we know God exists axiom 1 we know it by creation when we know God exists and that he gave the Bible axiom number 2 we can know him much better and it's how we learn about him and the details he wants us to know about him is from the written letter that he gave us axiom number 5 Jehovah is the only God Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You're very close if you're there at chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I love the exclusivity of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I also like the exclusivity of this passage. 1 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Amen and amen. Is that rather exclusive? Is that rather condemning of the religions of the world? Ridiculing them. they are nothing in the world. Nothing compared to our God and Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a summarized worldview right there. It doesn't go as far as I want to go, because the Lord's given us a whole lot more than those three verses, but it's wonderful. And I hope that you appreciate that. Men have invented many gods, but there can be only one supreme being, and that's our God. And the rest don't exist. They're made up by men. The only true and living God revealed himself as Almighty God, and then as Jehovah. Look back at Exodus chapter three and let's find the burning bush. Exodus chapter three and Moses at the burning bush. Children, when we read Exodus chapter three, the burning bush is kind of interesting and exciting. Moses taking his shoes off to stand on holy ground is kind of interesting and exciting. But God giving us his name is more exciting. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Do you love all those capital letters? In a King James Bible, I am that I am. And remember, Lord is in all capital letters when you find it in the Old Testament, representing that name by the four Hebrew consonants. And so we get our Lord in caps. And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now come over to Exodus chapter 6. Hopefully you understood that. Moses was nervous about going back to tell a couple million people that they needed to pack up and move out into the wilderness. That's a hard sell. Even if it was bad living in Egypt, they, were, they didn't know where they were going, what it was going to look like. And so he said, when they asked me, who sent you, what's his name? Give me a name. Let, get, let me get their attention. I am that I am. Tell them, I am sent you. We love this name. We are the true Jehovah's witnesses. They've never met Jehovah or his son Jesus Christ because they deny that Jesus is Jehovah. They do not know that family. They will soon meet Jehovah and Jesus won't be there to help them. They make a mockery of the name Jehovah. Every time it's written in a proverb commentary, you know, ask God to, to sell the truth to the world because when other people read it and that we use the real name of God, they wonder if we're Jehovah's Witnesses because most pastors don't use the real name of God. God is not a name. That's like Pharaoh is not a name. God's a title. God's an office. Not a name. Jehovah is His name. The Lord God did not tell Moses, go back and tell them God sent you. Which God? Pharaoh's God? Your God? Our God? Canaan's God? The backside of the desert God? Where have you been? Who do you mean? I am that I am. That is why we like as our first axiom... Not God was, not God shall be, God is. I am. God is. I am. That I am. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's get verse 2 for context. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Verse 3. But by my name Jehovah, was I not known to them. We just have a new word in our Bibles. Do you understand the importance of Exodus 6.3? We have a word. Is it capitalized? It is all caps, Jehovah. Jehovah. Who's he speaking to? Moses. I never revealed this name in the same way to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I did to thee. What was the name that he revealed to Moses? I am that I am. So what does Jehovah mean? I am that I am. Where did Jehovah come from? I'm quitting right there. You're going to have to go on our website and look up a slideshow presentation entitled A Name Above every name, right. and learn about the sacred Hebrew tetragrammaton of four consonants that stand for "I am that I am," and how when they got pointed up with vowels so that they could be pronounced, they sound like this. Jehovah, is that hard? Yahweh is not in the Bible. Yahweh's a joke. Yahweh's an ama- it's a made up. Imagine name. Right there. Look at the Bible. It's Jehovah. God didn't say, Yahweh. I never appeared to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob as Yahweh. But I'm appearing to you as Yahweh. No. Forget it. It's Jehovah. And remember, if you change Jehovah to Yahweh because you like the Jesus freak movement or some of these modern charismatics, or some of these modern Messianic Jews, if you change Jehovah to to Yahweh, you've got to change a hundred, at least, other names in the Bible that depend upon the letters of Jehovah. Like Elijah. It's not Eliwi. (laughs) It's Elijah. You say, why are you going over this this way? You sound intense. Listen, if I'm not intense about the right worldview, shoot me. I don't belong preaching. It should be intense. Amen. He gave us his name. I'm going to defend his name. And I'm not going to play with his name. And I'm not going to let anyone else play with his name. I don't care what you've thought about Yahweh. It's Jehovah. Can you read your Bibles? It's right there for you. And we know what it means because we've got chapter 3 and verse 14 to cross reference with chapter 6 and verse 3. I am that I am. What a name. There is no name like that. This isn't the only place in the Bible that Jehovah appears, but it doesn't appear very many times because usually it was left with the four consonants, L-O-R-D. Four consonants in Hebrew, L-O-R-D in English. What our translators chose to do with that Hebrew tetragrammaton. Four consonants representing deity. There's lots of other four-letter names for other gods in the world, like Baal, but we have Lord for Jehovah, which means I am that I am. Right. Right. Axiom number five is we don't play games with our God. We identify Him by His name. If you speak about God blessed me, God bless America, God do this, God did that, nobody's going to fault you in America. No one will really even fault you in Russia because it's so vague, it, has, it really has no meaning. It's just the poor people that are trusting in some religion. So it's just God. But as soon as you start using Jehovah, do you know what you're saying about Allah? When you say God, you haven't said anything about Allah. When you say Jehovah, you've denied Allah. Not only have you denied Allah of Islam, you've denied Brahman of Hinduism and Shiva of Hinduism, you've denied Buddha, you've denied Zeus of the Greeks, you've denied Jupiter of the Romans, you've denied the Great Spirit of the Indians, you've denied Pangu of the Chinese folk religions, You've denied Uko of the French of the Finnish mythology. You've denied all those gods because you said Jehovah. And if you really want to get serious, then you say the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you use the name Jehovah for your God and the Lord Jesus Christ for your Savior and His Son, you blow out so many false religions. Those two things might not blow out all false denominations but the rest of our axioms will but for axiom number five we want to blow out all false gods there's our god jehovah look at psalm 83 in verse 18 psalm 83 yahweh (laughs) you kidding me but you would be surprised the truth has always been held by a few And the majority have always held an error. So when you are in Christian circles and you say Jehovah, you will make enemies. Because they've made a little card house out of their Yahweh. They can't find it in the Bible, but they've made one. Psalm 80, listen, they have written Bible versions to stick it in because they don't like Jehovah. Oh, if you think that there's not Bible versions now that have Yahweh in them, there are. There are. I'll answer that for you right now. Psalm 83 and verse 17. Well, we would have to go all the way back to get a whole lot of context, and I'm going to skip it and just start out with a verse 17 about the enemies of God. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High over all the earth. I don't have the means to make our God an exceeding magnifical temple. But the little tiny means that I have in the use of this pulpit, I will exalt that God's name, my God's name, your God's name, to try to give Him worship in this church that is exceeding magnifical. It doesn't have to be beautiful to the natural eye. It doesn't have to be popular with natural men. But I'm going to give you what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible says. There's no other God like Him who has the name, the name alone, Jehovah. Thank you, Lord, for showing us such simple things. Brethren, idols are painted junk. Heavenly bodies, unpainted matter. Invisible gods, the imaginations of men. Ours is the only true and living God. Look at Psalm 115. You're only a few psalms away from it. Psalm 115. Sennacherib. If you read carefully in Isaiah 10 last evening, in preparation for today, and if you know about Sennacherib making fun of Hezekiah, he didn't think Hezekiah had any gods left. Because, Because... Our God is not on the wall on a little shelf. Our God's different. He's the only true and living God. He's living. He's not made of wood, stone, or steel. Here's the the thought in Psalm 115. Verse 2. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Where's your God? You don't have a God where's your God? Here's ours. Look at him. Isn't he beautiful? Where's our, where's your God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Amen. Their idols are silver and silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. You say, that's a lot of wasted scripture. Oh, no, it isn't. I enjoy every word of it. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. That is how God told me to preach. That God considers everyone that makes them and everyone that worships them and everyone that trusts in them to be equal to them. Painted junk. Because our God is in the heavens, and He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. That is our worldview. We are building our worldview. We are painting ourselves into a corner where we end up with nothing but what God wants us to believe. And every brush stroke we take, we paint over someone and some other ism in the world to end up in that little spot of truth where God wants us. That's what we're doing right now. Jehovah declared worshipers of idols are as stupid as their idols. Jehovah is a very special name, identifying the only creator God as I am that I am. It is a shame, and it's due to the pulpit rather than to POTUS in America. It is a shame that President Bush would compare the God of Christians and the God of Islam back there 20 years ago. It's a shame, but you know where the fault lies and it lies in the pulpits of America that the distinctions are not maintained and the truth preached unapologetically. The true worldview knows names give identity, thus Jehovah or Jesus over mere God. God bless America. Who, what are you talking about? Let's not even get on the bless America part, just on the God, who are you talking about? Yes, historically, that God has been what they call the the, the Judeo-Christian God of Jehovah of the Bible. I don't like any of those terms since I can't find them here. But it's Jehovah. We want to maintain that distinction with our children. When we talk about God... And if it's in context, we can use the word God. The word God occurs thousands of times in our two testaments, but we want to know who He is by His name. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about other gods. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is not only in 1 Corinthians 10. If we allow worship in our church without Jehovah as the name of our God, it is deficient worship. Right. Even if we pray to Almighty God, even if we pray to God the Almighty, praise to the Lord the Almighty, we can do all sorts of different things, but if we don't identify Him by the name He gave us, it's deficient worship. It's not good enough for Him. Mm-hmm. We want to make it good enough for Him. Yeah. He gave us His name. His name is wonderful. We love the history of His name. We love what's embodied in that name, Jehovah. JHVH pointed up with vowels. That is pretty good stuff. Remember, our King James Bible gave you the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Where, where do you find them? Psalm 119 and it's 22 sections of eight verses. If you've, got a, if you've got a real Bible, it'll, you know what I mean. You'll have that Hebrew letter and the name of the Hebrew letter beside it before each section, of Psalm 119 in an English Bible. It's in an English Bible. Amazing thing we have right here. Amazing thing. Did you have to go to Hebrew to figure out that Abimelech's a title for Achish? No, you just need to go to your English Bible, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, like we learned on Wednesday evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. Let's go to verse 19. What say I then? This is Paul, blasting the church at Corinth for playing around loosely with their liberty regarding idols. What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. False religion is devil worship. False religion is devil worship. Because where did the lie come from? It came from the devil. Where has the lie taken the worship from and redirected it? It's taken it from the creator God Jehovah and redirected it to another God. And it's worshiping the devil. The devil wants human worship. Fall down and worship me, he said to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He wants worship. And so this is an important verse to remember that false religion is worshiping devils. And this isn't the only place in the Bible that can be found in the book of Psalms as well about Israel. I am that I am. He's infinitely independent, infinitely eternal. Right. I am. Beautiful. And the Lord Jesus Christ would use the present tense, I am, spoken to Moses about being the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. And Abraham had been dead for several hundred years as proof in the verb tenses that Abraham was still alive. In order to prove that in Matthew chapter 22, let's go to axiom number six. God created all things for himself. Let's turn to Proverbs 16, 4, and it's a verse your children ought to know. Thank you, child of mine that wrote me recently and reminded me that it was the first verse you were to learn. I've told you that the first verse I learned was Romans 5, 12, that I can recall, that my father can recall, my brother recall, and I knew that Proverbs 16, 4 was good for my children, and I hope that... My children will teach it to their children, and everyone in here will teach it to their children and their children's children. Axiom number six, God created all things for himself. We haven't had that one yet. We've had number one, God is. We've had number three, God created all things. We've had number five, Jehovah is his name. And we've had numbers, now it's number six, He created all things for Himself, and that worldview changes how you look at life. As soon as you can embrace that, that He made all things for Himself, it changes how you look at things. God was not obligated to create. Jehovah was not requested to create. Jehovah God did it for Himself. He built the stage... And he built the players for a drama for the presentation of his glory to the universe. That is why the universe exists. God built the stage. God made the players. And God performed upon the players for his glory. That is why you're here. That is why everything is here. And when you can embrace that, it makes life exciting. Even polio in the Colosseum knew that he had a role to fulfill, and that was to bring glory to God by dying at the fangs and claws of a tiger, which we heard earlier this morning. Proverbs 16:4, the Lord. Notice it is all caps, it follows axiom number five: Jehovah, Jehovah God, the Lord hath made all things. For himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. When you hear the first half of that verse, there rises up in man surely all things does not include this or this or this. So the Holy Spirit immediately went to the most extreme example, the wicked for the day of their judgment. Yea, even that God made for himself. And that is a mind-blowing verse. That is why it is the longest commentary in our 915 commentaries in the book of Proverbs. It's a, it was a problem. It's no longer a problem. The audio and the written portion of written commentary are out there on the internet. If we could just present that verse and its commentary to all 7.5 billion Because this verse describes where they came from, where they're going, and what they're here for, and who deserves all their worship. The Lord God Jehovah, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil, when he judges them. He is the potter, we are the clay. Of the same lump, he can make a vessel of honor, and he can make a vessel of dishonor, and he has done both. He has made vessels of mercy and he has made vessels of wrath. There are children of God and children of glory and there are children of wrath that will suffer the wrath of God. This verse is so important and it's axiom number six. God created all things for himself. There are no exceptions, even evil men and hell. This rule, this axiom elicits praise from us that he's a great and glorious sovereign being over his creatures God chose to create by His will. What He created, its features, its end, its duties, its purpose is all to His glory. Do you know that about you? The way God made you, where He put you, the parents He gave you, the grandparents, the nation, the generation, the coordination or the lack of coordination, the eyesight or the lack of eyesight, intelligence or lack of intelligence, all of it. Don't ever, and sometimes some of you get close, to wanting to complain about the choices God made in your life that were out of your control. You are a rebel, and you may be a reprobate for even thinking it. God chose every detail of your life for His glory. Everything is for His glory. America is for His glory. Your family is for His glory. This church is for His glory. Everything is for His glory you make sure you turn that degree into His glory. That's in the front row. Third row, you make sure you turn that degree into His glory. Everything is for His glory. He made you to get that accounting degree third row. He made you to get that engineering degree first row for His glory. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Revelation 4.11 puts it this way, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast made all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Oh, does that give us a God-worth worship? What if we had one on the wall right here, and I was just to slap it off, and Mark was to jump up and jump on it? We could smash it. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. And He made each one of us. He made America. And we want to turn everything to the glory of God. This is how we view the world. Everything is for the glory of God. When one nation rises against another nation, you read about it in the news, it's the glory of God. When Mother Nature, it's Father God. Amen. But let, for the sake of the illustration, when Mother Nature does something in the world, it's Father God for His glory. Amen. And I give Him glory, and I get glory from it. And it it involves lives. It involves lives. And I still give him all the glory for it. Because, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil brings him glory. God created all things for himself. Look at Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4. Do you understand that a worldview properly taught would be teaching the whole Bible? And I'm trying not to do that. It is very difficult. I would love to give you my table that I've got so far and see how many you want to add to it (laughs) and take from it or rearrange. It's very difficult. I am not complaining. If I get slowed down to have to spend more time on this than I had planned and just keep looking at Isaiah out there with longing eyes, I'm not going to complain. Amen. Listen, Isaiah ought to be lighting you up. Every time you read a verse that's from that book, yeah. just think about what is in the chapter before and the chapter after. It has the most variety. It is an incredible display of the divine providence in this world, including His Son, Jesus Christ, over any book I know of. Jeremiah? Jeremiah is basically history from, one, from the first chapter to the last chapter. Not, not Isaiah. Beautiful book. But here we are in Daniel 4, and I'm not complaining. Verse 34 And at the end of the days, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. Brethren, that's the first thing we do to get right with God. That's the first thing we do to get our thoughts established and what we're going to be and what we're going to do with our lives. Lift up our eyes to heaven. There, There is no better thing to do. When you're troubled, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're fearful, lift up your eyes to heaven. Everyone in here, hear me. Lift up your eyes to heaven. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes to heaven, and we know that to lift up our eyes to heaven means to repent of our sins and, and to have all zeal and all revenge against the sins that we had committed, to lift up our eyes and say, Father, forgive me. This is what happens. This is our worldview. Verse 34, I lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. The Lord can do that so fast when we repent. And I bless the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever. I am that I am, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Listen to the sovereignty coming off the lips of the greatest sovereign that ever lived on earth as he describes the God of gods and the King of kings. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? It doesn't matter if he makes something without arms or without hands. Isaiah 45, 9 deals with that fact. That if God makes someone without hands... Wouldn't that be, no hands. God made that choice. And everything is for His glory. What doest thou? Never ask, never blame what God did in your life with the choices that you couldn't control. You can call them acts of God because they are acts of God. But they are for Himself and for His glory. Don't bark against them. Do you want to be content and happy in life? Accept what God gave you. And if you say to me, if you say to me, well, that's because your circumstances are pretty good. In my flesh, I hate this job because I hate people. And I thank God that I have some verses from Moses, from Jeremiah, and from Paul himself, very similar. Paul said he did this thing against his will. If I did it willingly then I have a reward. These are Paul's words. But if against my will, then a dispensation of God is given to me. There's a whole lot more fun ways to live than being a pastor. I'm, and I'm not complaining in my spirit. Right. I'm just telling you, don't, don't, don't reason like a reprobate. Right. Well, that's easy for you to say because you're... Oh, meet me afterwards and let's compare our top 10 problems. Let's compare them. Top 10. We'll just limit it to 10. I have a few. I don't want to talk about me anymore. Not one second. You brought it up. You're the one that said... No, you did. You're the one that said, well, it's easy for you to say. It's not. It's not. Every one of us... You know what? If you, if you have the right mindset... I was made for God's glory... And every choice in my life that's out of my control is God's choice. Right. And the ones in my control, He's blessed to help me accomplish good things. I'm the most blessed man on earth. Amen. I'm the most blessed Amen. woman on earth. Amen. Every single one of you can say that. That's right. And we could end up turning this into a free-for-all in here, a riot of people competing with each other as to who is most blessed. Yeah. You just have to have the right view of things. And the world wants to always make you discontent. They live off of your discontentment and your fear and your resentment. That's how they get paid from each other. And we don't have that here. We come in here, listen, want to come to me later? I'll give you 10 things in your life that distinguish you from others. Where is that girl? There she is back there, the most blessed 12-year-old in the world. There's a 20-year-old sitting a few rows in front of you that remembers that. That's about 30 years ago, right? No, no. Let's do that math over. There's a girl a few rows in front of you that reminded me in the last three weeks of that event where you believed that you were the most blessed 12-year-old in the world and how much it helped you. And she reminded me that she's doing the same thing, that she believes she's the most blessed 20-year-old or so in the world. Because this axiom is not for head knowledge. It's not for intellectual assent, and it's not for a mantra, and it's not for a wall hanging. It's for how we live. Right. And we embrace the fact that God made us for His glory. Daniel 4.35 says, tells us that God doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can stop him and no one can even question him and I love a God like that. That's the God that I believe and have believed for now 45 years or so and I thank the Lord for that. Look at Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians 1.11. Let's just, listen, I want you to see some more verses that exalt this God who created all things for himself. Number six, is created all things for himself. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God had an eternal counsel, figured everything out, that would bring him great glory and put it into action. That's right. Amen. And it includes some made without hands. And it includes vessels of wrath. And it includes vessels of mercy. But it's all for his glory. Amen. And we want to give him all that glory. And we want to give him all that glory actively, as was prayed last Sunday by a young man in our church. Look at Romans chapter 11 with me. Romans 11. This morning I have already referred to the fact that this book of the Bible, Romans, like other books, has a very distinct division from what we could call the doctrinal section for the practical section, though truly, theology and practice are both doctrine, but you understand the distinction. The last verse of Romans chapter 11, after 11 chapters of lifting God and salvation by grace As high as it can be done, he said, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Of him, through him, and to him are all things. Make yourself to God's glory. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? Then do everything to God's glory. Everything you do. Everything you enjoy, give Him glory for it. Do it as unto the Lord. Whether you're working on the job or doing dishes at home, everything to the glory of God. Whether you're picking strawberries or pulling potatoes out of the ground, Miriam, do all to the glory of God. Always the glory of God. Let it rule you and it will save you. Look at Isaiah 43. Let me share this angle with you. Turn to Isaiah 43. In Proverbs 16, 4, it identified an extreme category of men. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. And you see the purpose there was to just answer everyone in the briefest way possible. If you're going to object about this and this and this, I'm just going to go to the bottom of the list right off the bat and just get it out of the way so that you can't say anything against me in one sentence. That is a brilliant rhetorician. That is eloquence. That is genius on the pages of your Bible. But since that extreme is taken care of in Proverbs 16, 4, let me share this one with you. And that's you. You specifically identified. Isaiah 43, verse 6. I will say to the north, give up. Meaning, give up his children. I will say to the north, the nations that held Israelites captive, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him, for I have created him, For my glory, I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Do you like those two verses? Every nation where God's children were captive at this point in human history, God said, give up. Don't keep them back. Send them. Now what happened? What happened? Babylon was 500 miles away. It was impregnable. She would sit a queen forever. Cyrus took her in one night. What was his first act of business? The Lord God has given me a charge. Every one of you that wants to go back to Jerusalem, go back. I'll pay. Rebuild the city. Rebuild his temple. Amen. Oh. Remember I told you Isaiah 40 through 48 is about Cyrus. If you want to appreciate these chapters, look at that verse. Even everyone that is called by my name. Where did we go today with axiom number five? Jehovah is his name. Was there a group of people on earth who called their God Jehovah? Were they the smallest group of people on earth holding any religion? Yes. Did they hold Jehovah, his name, correctly as their God? Yes. And the Lord identifies them right there. I have created him for my glory. Him is singular. Everyone, if you'll read the verse, every one, every one of you was created for God's glory as his son or his daughter. No one can keep you captive when God says, give up. Oh, beautiful. And you worry about politics. Are you kidding me? And you worry. Don't worry. Rejoice. Look at verse 21. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Can you jump into that verse? Can you get back and take a running leap and dive into Isaiah 43 and verse 21? This people have I formed for myself. God formed us for himself. Individually, each of us, unique persons, unique circumstances, fall before him. Lift up your eyes to heaven and give him what 21 says we will, that we will show forth his praise. You do not exist for you. Nor does anything else exist for you until after he has derived his pleasure from you. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is question number one and its answer of major catechisms of 300 years ago. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Pharaoh rose to the top for God to ruin him for his own praise. If you're rising toward the top, glorify him now actively before he gets praise from you passively. When Isaiah and Paul met Jesus, they had no thought of their plans. When Isaiah met God in Isaiah chapter 6, and he saw God sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, he had one response, Here am I, send me. He didn't say, Lord, send someone else. Moses did. I didn't appeal to Moses. I appealed to Isaiah and to Paul. Moses did say, please send someone else. Please send Aaron. Let anyone else talk. I just don't like that job. I am doing the job, if you're still wondering about what I said earlier. And only God knows how eager I was to get here this morning. I just wanted to tell you... I just had to answer you because you were asking me a question. Well, that's easy for you to say. No, it isn't easy for me to say. I can, anyway, back to uh, Isaiah rather than Moses. Isaiah, here am I, Send me. Isaiah six, one through eight. When the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to the apostle Paul, what did he say? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Not Lord, I have these plans when I'm done I'll take care of you. Are there other men in the Bible described that way? I have a father to bury. I have a yoke of oxen I need to test. Do you know how the, the Lord brought all those examples in? Most men have something else that they think is important compared to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's the most important thing because you were created for the glory of God and His kingdom on earth gives Him glory. Give Him glory, brethren. Give Him glory. All, all that you are, stupid or ugly or not, is God's choice for his pleasure. Embrace every one of those things. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10 and we close. 1 Corinthians 10. My brethren, church, everything you and your family are, all that you are is God's choice for his pleasure. Embrace it. Don't fight against it. Don't complain about it. Don't think you're hopeless. Don't think you're helpless. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you. 1 Corinthians 10. Everything you and your family do, large or small, should glorify God. Every fact, every feature of your life is God's choice for you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So simple. Another verse to memorize about a worldview. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Axiom number five, Jehovah is the only God. Axiom number six, God created all things for himself, for his glory. May God bless by his spirit, his mighty spirit, the preaching of his word. Amen.